The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Matthew Schifrin, uh, who is invest- the investing editor at Forbes Media. He has just come out with a new book published by Wiley called The Warren Buffett's Next Door, The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn From Them. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background before we get to the book and uh, why you wanted to do this book. Uh, well, I've been um, with Forbes uh, for 26 years, pretty much since I graduated from college. And over the years, I've you know done a lot of the typical Forbes stuff. I've covered a lot of different industries, um, a lot of financial services, a lot of stocks, investing. But then in 99, I started an offshoot publication for the magazine called Forbes Best of the Web. And that went pretty strongly for a few years. And it was back in 2000, I wrote a story um, in Forbes that questioned whether the web would create would create the next Warren Buffett. And ever since I did that story, I had a keen interest in kind of what was going on in, among online investors. And, you know, I was certainly amazed at all the websites that have been created that essentially um, have leveled the playing field so that you can you can get uh, almost institutional quality research and information. Obviously, trades are really cheap now. Um, every individual investor has access to these, and I thought that one day it would kind of change things and that perhaps we could have a Warren Buffett-like uh, 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 returns from uh, regular, kind of regular Joes, online investors who've taught themselves to invest. And so with that in mind, um, about a year and a half ago, I set out to find um, some great investors, some great individual investors, self-directed investors that nobody had ever heard of. And there are two websites that I use to help me in my search. Uh, one's called Marketocracy.com, and they have this system where you create a million-dollar virtual portfolio, and you're held to the same standards as a real-life mutual fund. And another website called Value Forum uh, is a collection of about 1,200 really s- smart um, self-directed investors who help each other share ideas, uh, share information. And from those two websites, I got my leads for who might be these great investors. And in my book, I've, t- I've turned up 10 great self-directed investors. These are ordinary people with extraordinary investment returns. We're talking in the order of 25 30% average annual re- returns for as long as 10 years. Um, and um, so there's people from all walks of life in my book. I've got an, a former truck driver and a, several engineers or some retirees, um, a computer lab manager. So um, that was my goal. And I think, uh, you know, I hope uh, people will see if they read my book uh, that, you know, you can learn a lot from these great uh, individual investors and that, you know, investing need not be as intimidating as it might seem. Okay, Matt. So um, you say that most of the people you were um, 
uh, talking to you, we're, we're relatively open to wanting to deal with you. Yes, yes, I did encounter a few um, people who were reluctant, but um, once I did you know, identify these 10 individual investors who had outstanding returns, frankly, when I contacted them, they were so flattered because they knew how well they had been doing um, because a lot of these guys, had, you know, their real-life portfolios had swelled immensely. And... Um, you know they were kind of flattered, and they were fairly open uh, to my to my questioning about not only you know their life story but how they uh, you know what their strategy was and how they 've come to be such such good investors now we 're going to get into them in more detail, but uh, overall, if people read this book and see these ten completely different strategies, how should they take it? I mean should they try to emulate one of them or should they come up with their own strategy? I mean, some of these things are quite technical in nature, using options and so on. How, how should the reader take this in, in investing their own money? I think that, um, you know, there's 10, while there's 10 different individuals in my book and 10 different strategies, um, some of them are fairly similar. There's several of them who have a very similar kind of classic value investing approach, much as you would had you been a student of, say, Warren Buffett um, or, or read Intelligent Investing. So there's there's some of that kind of discounted uh, cash flow analysis. Um, some are almost more Peter Lynch, buy what you know type investors, who, uh, um, and some are more yield oriented. So I think that depending on you know which which investor in my book, which Warren Buffett next door resounds uh, you know best with you, you should focus on the one that fits you the best. I mean, there's a guy in there. Uh, named Andy Swan, who has focused mostly on gold and other natural resources like oil, and he's done quite well. And so there's a lot of investors these days who are quite interested uh, in that area, and uh, they could learn a few things about, you know, how to approach uh, the gold market. Um, and there, as you say, there's some traders in there. Um, there's a technical analyst who's uh, an Elliott Wave practitioner. His name's John Navin. He's a, he's a former disc jockey. Um, and uh, and there's a guy who the former truck driver is actually really focused on healthcare and biotech because that's really where his interests lie, and uh, he's been quite good uh, in that sector. So I, I think that different people, you know, depending on um, your orientation and uh, the, your style, you, you can you would identify with different investors in my book. All right, let's start right in. The first one you have is uh, Christopher Reese, and you call him uh, the vagabond value investor. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Chris? Chris is um, uh, he's a real uh, interesting guy because. Um, Chris lives in the Dominican Republic, um, but it, for 30 years of his life, he traveled around the world. Um, uh, he, he didn't like, you know, he wasn't thrilled living in England as a youngster, and so as soon as he became of age, he left. And um, when he was traveling around the world, he he almost had a subsistence living. He would get odd jobs, uh, just earning enough to keep him going um for the next few weeks, he in Switzerland he was a he was a contractor. He was a carpenter. Uh, in Afghanistan he was a tailor. In India he was a cook. For a while he gave eco tours out of Belize and, and Central America off his sailboat. Um, and so he, he has a real interesting life, and that's why I call him vagabond value. But um, when he was in Florida once, he had a massive toothache, and he went to a dentist and noticed. And he was sitting there in pain in the office and was wondering why the dentist wasn't 
available to help him. And he kind of wandered into the back of the office on his own and saw the dentist hunched over a computer screen tending to his portfolio. And from that day on, Chris said, uh, if it's that interesting for the dentist, I need to find out more about that. So lo and behold, Chris uh, taught himself how to invest and ultimately um, gave up the kind of traveling, uh, you know, the vagabond life. He was kind of a hippie drifter and uh, settled in the Dominican Republic and has been investing uh, for, for some time now. And over the last 10 years, he's had a 25% average annual return. He's a deep value investor who looks at... Um, uh, you know, looks at companies looking for their tangible uh, asset value, and uh, is very mindful of kind of funny accounting. And he he's done ex- extremely well. And I and in the book, I kind of relate how for all those years he he was kind of just subsisting and trying to figure out uh, you know what his downside was so that he um, could survive. And in the same way as an investor, he fo- he's, he's obsessed with losing money. He doesn't want to lose money. In fact, if you were to zero in on one uh, tactic or one strategy that he had, uh, above all, it's don't lose money. So he's he he really does a ton of research on every stock he buys. He usually has only about 10 stocks in his portfolio, and he becomes very, uh, you know, he has to convince himself that uh, these are undervalued stocks. So, so when you have a deep value stock, it can stay undervalued for a long time. Does he look for a catalyst that could turn it around as well? Yeah, I mean, he definitely uh, looks for catalysts. He tries to buy things uh, essentially for 50 cents on the dollar, um, but he looks for some overriding um, trend that could cause a stock to move up. But he is very—he is a very patient investor. You know, he's one of these uh, you know people who will sit and, and hold the stock. He. He's so selective that he doesn't really um, wait around. Um, uh, he doesn't obsess that a catalyst, a catalyst is not immediate um, so uh, because he becomes really convinced think, about his stocks. So how do you earn a living just sitting there watching these very slow stocks stay undervalued for a long time? Well, well, they don't all stay undervalued for a very long time, and, and he does have a, a number of them that do produce yield. and. Um, uh, his portfolio is is big enough that uh, he's been able to um, you know been able to survive uh, investing for himself. I do believe he has some real estate as well uh, and gets some income off of that. Um, Let's and, go into some of his uh, specific rules because he has some specific rules for investing. Uh, and so why don't you go through his his buy rules and then his sell rules? Okay. Um, his buy rules. So Chris's uh, buy rules are find companies with low debt, less than 50%, uh, 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 that are selling at less than 50%. Uh, no, the debt should be less than 50% of equity. He also fo- focuses on tangible asset value, which is also known as tangible book value, and uh, is very mindful of intangibles that can inflate asset values uh, at companies. What would be an example yep. of an intangible that would inflate asset values? <clears throat> Um, well, an example might be goodwill. When a company buys um, another company, oftentimes there's, a, there's an accounting um, uh, va- asset that's put on the books uh, called goodwill. If you if you pay a lot for a brand, there's a value to a brand that is not really a tangible value, but there is some value there. So that would be considered um, uh, an intangible. Oftentimes, companies that make a lot of acquisitions have a lot of goodwill on their books. 
Okay. Um, look, uh, third rule, look at realistic forward earnings potential. So he, you know, he looks... He wants to see a path to profitability and earnings growth, and I guess that's a kind of a company by company um, uh, situation that he that he looks at. He also has a number of sell rules. Um, he you know he he figured out an intrinsic value based on um, based on his um, you know his his calculation of tangible asset value, and if a stock approaches that fair value, he's fairly disciplined in selling it. Um, he, you know, he, he's got some some other sell rules. Uh, you know, if risk increases, which is fairly vague, but uh, you know, he looks at each situation. Um, if a stock becomes overweighted in his portfolio, you know, north of twenty five percent, he's out. Um, so he, uh, um, you know, he's got a number of rules here, including um, you know, take profits if you can lower the overall risk of your portfolio by reallocating capital. So he's constantly pruning his portfolio. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Matt Schifrin, who's got a new book called The, War- the Warren Buffett's Next Door: The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn from Them. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Matt Schifrin, uh, who is the investing editor at Forbes magazine. He's also come out with a new book called The Warren Buffett's Next Door. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me back. We were talking a little bit about Chris Reese, who you call the vagabond value guy. Why don't you just give us one example of a stock uh, that he saw in deep value and how it worked out for him? Okay, sure. Um, uh, there was a stock uh, called uh, Abatex Corp. Uh, the symbol was uh, is A B I X, and um, uh, he uh, you know he, he screens for stocks, and he found that this this company was a supplier of environmental products and safety equipment, um, uh, and it's a firm that prospers during disasters. He noticed that the stock had traded way down. He calculated um, that the, the stock should be worth ten dollars a share, um, but was selling at um, I believe it was selling at around six dollars and he bought a lot of the stock um, you know based on his um, analysis and um, he made a significant gain in it um, he made about eighty percent gain and he, he he's um, you know he's really very diligent about uh, looking for stocks that um, uh, you know, are severely undervalued. He made a lot of money in another company called Elon, which is a company that um, makes a drug for multiple sclerosis, I believe. And that was another one that sold off on um, kind of panic rumors because of a setback at the FDA and um, bought that those shares extremely inexpensively. Okay, let's move on. The next one you have uh, is what you call the options apostle, uh, which is Bob Krebs. Uh, right, so Bob that... is a uh, an engineer from Orange County, California. Um, very smart guy. Um, kind of tried it all during his investment background, but um, he settled on an interesting strategy where um, he his goal is to add up one percent, one and a half percent to three percent in additional income to his portfolio by selling out of the money puts and calls. Um, Either on stocks on his portfolio or on stocks that he's he's looking at, and um, he's been so successful at this that he he belongs to this um, web community called Value Forum, and on that community every year in that community they have um, kind of an, an investor conference. They call it Invest Fest, and uh, people in that community it's a, over a thousand investors on that community. They they know and love him so well that he actually teaches a course on generating income from your from options and so is he doing uh, out of the money puts and calls separately or as spreads i mean putting them together well he, he does a lot of um he, he he does both but um and he does spreads and straddles and things like that but for the purposes of my book i focused on uh you know using out of the money um puts as a way to either to generate income and to kind of get into stocks at a at a cheaper price you you sell out of money puts underneath the stock's price and um uh, covered calls which is a very common strategy um where you have a big holding of stock and you sell calls against it above uh, above the price and um, can generate a significant amount of income doing that. And so um, one of the things that got him onto options was um, he used to be a buyer of options and a lot of people buy calls and puts, but he read uh, an article that 
said uh, about 80% of all uh, options contracts expire worthless. So he had kind of an investing epiphany. He said, well, if that's the case and the options are a zero-sum game, then I should be a seller of options rather than a buyer of options. And he he kind of moved his strategy in that direction. And at any given time now, he'll have 100 to 200 options contracts open at any given time on his portfolio. And he's done extremely well. I believe in 2009, he had a 25% average annual return, which doesn't sound uh, so high, but consider that um, he had uh, over 25%, he had almost 50% of his portfolio in cash that year because he was nervous. And uh, But the options income was able to kind of uh, give him a pretty damn good return, even in a year when he had a ton of cash in his portfolio. He also buys a lot of yield stocks. Um, He's been very big in the mortgage REITs. Uh, one of the ones that um, I put in my book is Annalee Mortgage, which I believe is paying in north of 15% uh, interest. It's a company that uh, is in the mortgage business, and for all intents and purposes, the mortgages that it buys are backed by uh, uh, Fannie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are essentially wards of the state at this point, and so you're you would, your money would seem to be essentially good in those investments. And so he's very opportunistic. He uses his uh, network on value for him to help him find ideas. But options is really uh, the game he's a specialist in. So basically the idea of selling an out-of-the-money put is you are giving somebody the right to sell their stock to you at a price way below what the current market price is. Right. It so doesn't need the, to be way below, but certainly below what the current market price is. So if he's interested in a stock like Intel, but it's trading at $19 or $20, and he thinks it's worth 18 he can sell the puts at 18 And the worst-case scenario is he gets the stock at the price he wanted to get it at, uh, minus the income he generated by so selling you, the puts. You, re- you receive a and, premium, just to make it clear. That, right, that he received. And so um, it's it's an interesting way to kind of not only get paid, get paid to wait for a stock to come down to the price you want it at. And, and in some cases, that, he just does naked, uh, you know, out-of-the-money puts because he just wants to generate income. So uh, many of the times it won't hit it, and you just get to keep your income. Right, and, and then he does, does that it, all the time. You know, his goal is to, is to as I said, 1.5% on his portfolio to 3% each month, and he's been very successful at doing that. On the other hand, if you do this strategy, you have to have the money ready to buy yes. the stock when it does go down and hit right. the level you want. They won't let you do it. Most broker firms will not let you do it unless you have the money. And I believe in the cases of a taxable account, you have to have at least 50% uh, 50 or 25 percent of the down in you know in equity margin, and in the case of retirement accounts, I believe it's 100 percent equity margin. You have to have the money to do this uh, to make this trade, and for that reason, um, it's not the you know it is a somewhat sophisticated strategy. And most brokerage firms, I think all brokerage firms, will will force you to fill out a lot of paperwork before you can actually begin trading options, just to kind of show and, and establish that you have. Uh, a level of expertise, but you know he recommends you start slow with covered calls. That's you know selling calls against positions in your portfolio. Yeah, uh, we can't go through all of his rules, but one of his rules you say is to make sure you're not imposing your ego on the market. What does he mean by that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because uh, that's one of my favorite rules. Um, what he says is that there's two currencies we invest in any stock. Uh, one is uh, the, the hard dollar currency, uh, and the other is emotional currency. A lot of us, especially if we've done our research, 
feel that we're right. And so there's an emotional currency you invest in a stock. And he says, you know, be very careful with that because that's what's going to get you to hold on longer than you should. And uh, ultimately, you could have a big loss because you, be, you fall in love with your stocks is basically what he warns against. And don't do that, is what you're saying. Right, right. Don't do that. Okay, your third uh, uh, kind of unusual investor is what you call the ladies' man, and that's Mike Koza. Uh, why don't right. you briefly tell us what his strategy is? Okay, so Mike's an amazing guy. His average annual return uh, since 2001 is about 34%. Um, I call him ladies' man because if, it, if not for his wife, Maria, who he met through the personals um, about 10 years ago, he would have not become an investor. His passion was whitewater rafting. That's what he liked to do. Uh, Maria took one look at his portfolio, which was in a brokerage account languishing, and said, what's the matter with you? You're, you're really smart. You're an engineer. Why aren't you doing this yourself? He took her advice, and nine years later, he turned $100,000 into over $3 million. Um, Mike is another deep value investor. Um, he takes significant, you know, he takes some risks. He he was he famously bought financials uh, in the depths of 2008 and 2000, and, um, you know, the beginning of 2009. He um, he's a rigorous financial analyst. He actually. You know, plows through SEC documents online. He told me that he um, he downloads almost all management conference calls of companies he's interested in, burns them to CD, and puts them in his car. And um, his wife likes to go to um, yard sales and rummage sales on the weekend, and he sits in the car and listens to management calls. Uh, so he's a real rigorous researcher, but he, he does some amazing analysis. Um, in one example in my book, he bought into a company called Radian Group, which is a mortgage insurer. And um, the stock had fallen as low as a dollar during the financial crisis. He did his um, his analysis and figured that a liquidation value for the company was closer to twenty dollars a share. Bought a lot of that stock uh, at prices, uh, you know, you know, single digit prices, and sold at uh, twelve to sixteen. So um, this takes a lot of guts to do something like that. Yeah, he he is a crisis. guy who does take risks, but but I emphasize he every one of the investors in my book puts in at least three hours a day um, researching, tending to their portfolios. Uh, you know, these guys are passionate about investing. They love investing, and they make the time. I mean, in the case of Mike Koza, he's a full-time civil engineer uh, with the state of California, and uh, he's, you know, he's up really early um, working on his portfolio. He does it at lunch. He does it at night. Um, you know, he... Um, as he says it, he kind of sleeps with SEC documents under his pillow. So he's <laughs> passionate about it, but he do. likes it, and um, he's done extremely well. One of his rules, you say, is uh, looking for short-term market disconnects. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, this is uh, what's interesting about my book is a lot of the rules these guys have are the same rules that some that professional legendary investors have. Um, well, there's oftentimes, uh, you know, there's the market becomes panicky, uh, there's chaos in the market, things go out of whack, and stocks uh, fall. And so he he's constantly looking at big gainers and losers in the paper uh, to find out, you know, what stock is overreacting. You know, he, he bought a lot of solar stocks during the crisis because people thought that that market, which had gone up very high, you know, that there, this, these, there's going to be so many sales and there's going to be no new, no use for them. Made a lot of money on that. And I mentioned before, the mortgage insurer, you know, anything associated with mortgage during the uh, housing financial crisis was tainted on Wall Street. Nobody wanted to go near near those stocks. But you know, if if you're cool-headed about it and do your analysis, you can find out that you know certain things are not going bankrupt. And um, and and that's he, he uses that to find some of his his values. He also says to avoid value traps. What does he mean by that? 
Well, well, a lot of value investors will look at something that might have a low PE or a low price to book or have a high yield and say, now that's just a bargain. I need to buy that stock because it just has a great, you know, it's really very cheap. And um, oftentimes those stocks stay cheap and they don't get, you know, there's no catalyst to move them forward. And he admits in the book that he lost a lot of money at first when he started investing, um, buying some of these value traps. I mean, even professional investors have been caught in them. I remember Washington Mutual was a very popular stock um, back in the 2005-2006 because it had a very high yield. Um, But it turned out to be kind of a value trap. Everyone was recommending that stock up until the end. And, um, you know, during the financial crisis, it didn't matter that you could get 6% uh, a dividend yield on that stock because, you know, it 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 went away essentially. So, um, you know, very famous investors get caught, caught in value traps all the time. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Matt Schifrin. Uh, he has a website, which is mattschifrin.com. Uh, his latest book is called The Warren Buffett's Next Door, The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn From Them. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Matt Schifrin, who has a new book out called The Warren Buffett's Next Door. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Great to be back. All right. Uh, the for- fourth one you have is the, what you call The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, is Kai uh, Patanen, is that the way it's pronounced? That's right. Kai uh, Patanen, he's a really uh, interesting guy, very young guy, um, and a lively guy. Kai, I call him the Sorcerer's Apprentice because Kai works at the computer uh, lab at the uh, Tazi um, lab at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. And Kai... Um, what Kai's done is by working there and listening to the professors and you know hearing about the assignments and talking to the MBAs there, um, kind of like a magpie, he has incorporated all of these um, uh, academic and famous stock screening um, approaches into one quantitative um, kind of formula that he's created for screening for stocks. And in doing so, he's done quite well. According to Marketocracy, um, since February 2003, he's had an average annual return of about 17% versus 7% for the S&P 500. And that's just one portfolio. He's created nine portfolios, and um, I believe all but one has beaten its benchmark by uh, a pretty big number. And um, So what are some of the rules that he has in, in finding stocks? Oh, so he, um, so he has a rule... Um, that is inspired by Joseph P. Atrosky's um, uh, low price to book value. So he's got low price to book value. He wants a positive return on assets. Um, he le- he's looking for a positive return on equity, low debt to equity. I'm actually going through some of his screening criteria. Um, he looks for low short interest. He wants institutional buying. Um, so uh, so these are some of the things that he looks for. He's got about 11 different criteria that he uses to buy every stock, and he's very rigorous about it. Um, Is there some likes- software? That, I mean, most people wouldn't be able to do all this manually, certainly. Are there he- software programs that allow you to screen looking for his criteria? Absolutely. He, he's, he's used FactSet a lot, but um, there are some cheaper alternatives that I, I can recommend. Um, uh, the um, American Association of Individual Investors has a, a software called Stock Investor Pro, which is excellent software, and you can do a ton of screening on that. Uh, there's another website called StockScreen123.com that has some really good affordable stock screening software. And believe, you know, believe it or not, you can even there's even pretty good software on Google Finance, which is completely free uh, if you want to do some stock screening. So um, I actually have a chapter in my book called Legendary Investor Incubators, and it goes through a lot of the websites that uh, are excellent for kind of learning to be a better investor. Um, but uh, you know, he's a quant. Kai Patanen's a quant. He's I call him the Sorcerer's Apprentice because uh, he's taken all these things from from the master investors and created his own formula his own potion, so to speak, that's, that's done quite well. And, um, so uh, people could follow it, you're saying. You're taking his criteria from your book, they could follow it and come up with similar stocks and do well, you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely, because um, he's fairly specific about how he, um, how, he, how he looks at each one of these uh, stocks. And he's very open. He's the kind of guy you could email, and he would help you. In fact, um, he's done so well uh, that the professors at uh, the, the faculty at University of Michigan, has just, they've just asked him to kind of be an adjunct and teach a course uh, among the stu- uh, for the students on stock screening. Great. Okay, the fifth one you have is named Alan Hill. He's what you call the network miner. How does that work? I call him network miner because Alan, he's a real smart guy. He's a retiree, lives in New Mexico. He has this idyllic life. 
Um, but he is a he's his strategy involves um, finding great investors on the message boards online. So the two sites he likes to go to are valueforum.com, which I mentioned before. Bob Krebs um, is on that site as well. And um, another one is Investors Hub. And he, he feels like he, you know one of his key strengths is listening. And so once he finds someone he thinks is smart, uh, he'll communicate with them, and it'll help him to get ideas. Now, he doesn't just kind of rely on tips, because once he finds the ideas, he does his own, uh, does his own research and follows up. Um, Alan's got an interesting strategy because he combines what he calls steady eddy yield-oriented stocks, kind of safer stocks, with a portfolio of 20 to 30 Chinese small caps, Chinese micro caps, uh, which, believe it or not, despite the growth in that country, um, are selling, many of them are still selling at, you know, single-digit PEs, four, five, three, three PEs. And, uh, you know, he, so he's done some speculating there, but he's, he, he does put out a warning that says, you know, it's risky for every 10 stocks he buys, he, you know, two will go to zero. Um, but, uh, you know, he gets, a, in many cases, he'll get some that'll go up, you know, five and tenfold uh, in the mix. So he, he's careful to have a diversified portfolio of these Chinese micro caps. And, um, but if he does find one that he likes in particular and he becomes convinced, uh, either through his research or through the network that it's going to go up, he will buy a disproportionate amount of that stock. How do you know what to listen to and what not to listen to on these message boards where there's all kinds of people? saying all kinds of things. You have no idea who they are, what their vested interests well, are. Well, I think that's where, where it takes time. And so he doesn't, in a, in a sense, he listens for a long time. He, he, he's not, he's a retiree, so he's on there every day for several hours. In fact, he typically will contact them, you know, privately to kind of uh, check out their, their bona fides. And in, in one case, he found um, a Chinese coal company, but the person he got the tip from was someone who was a Chinese national who lived in Canada who had been speaking to management and um, it, he was actually a PhD scientist and so he, he does his due diligence on his message boards and then he does his own due diligence in the SEC documents or um, you know online uh, reading up on the, on the companies and um, he makes his decisions based on that. He's not always right but um, he's been quite successful. Um, you know one of his rules is go where the Money is, and you know, ten years ago he might not have been investing in China, but now uh, you know, since he believes that's where the growth is, um, he's invested a lot in China in Chinese stocks. He also has a good deal of energy and precious metals, um, and as I say, he's got a significant number of yield stocks in there. Interestingly, one of the things about his strategy that is he feels that taxes are an important part of his strategy. He has um, converted all, all, almost all of his traditional IRAs to Roth IRAs. He is convinced, like a lot of people are, that taxes will be going up eventually, and uh, has decided to uh, you know make the switch to Roth, and uh, which he cites as a, as an important part of his strategy. Okay, your next uh, investor is what you call Rambling Jack. Uh, that's Jack Wayland. How does he work? Jack is the former truck driver. Um, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's, you know, he's floated from job to job. Um, while he was a truck driver, he would use his laptop and a wireless card. And every time he'd have a, a mandatory stop, he would um, spend hours investing um, and researching his portfolio. He's had a 36% average annual return um, for the last since 2002. Jack specializes in biotech. The interesting thing about Jack is that he 
you know, he's not the most eloquent person when you ask him about general market things. But if you ask him specifically about a stock that he's interested in, a pharmaceutical, he can tell you with almost encyclopedic knowledge about all the drugs that, uh, you know, the company is involved with um, and, uh, you know, where they are in the FDA process. So he's really, you know, he's done his research and he's, he's just really done well uh, with, these, with these biotech stocks. And I think what he does is he looks, just like um, Mike Koza, he looks for market disconnects. He calls them hiccups. If there's a hiccup because some FDA trial goes poorly, these stocks will, will they'll drop fast. And he looks for those as opportunities to buy in. He also apparently has a fund that for people who don't want to do the work themselves, it can go along. Is that correct? Uh, no, well, he has a fund on the website Marketocracy, and it's a um, it's a virtual fund, um, and you can, um, you know, Marketocracy does offer separately managed accounts that do um, track some of the some of these guys' funds. So there's a way to go through Marketocracy where they're actually the ones who are managing your money, but they do it in a portfolio that tracks uh, different outstanding online investors, and and he happens to be one of them, and. Um, but you know he mostly invests for himself. He he's had a number of different part-time jobs because although he is investing some inherited money, um, he never had a lot of capital, um, so that I don't, he doesn't have enough right now to uh, just invest full-time. Some of his rules, he say, to seek an entry point when you want to buy it after selling has dried up and there's signs of accumulation beginning. So that sounds like a more of a technical, technical. look at it than it is a fundamentals of what's happening. Yeah, and I, and it, that was actually you know one of the rules that we talked about and. He wasn't, um, you know, he looks at the volume of stocks and um, and he watches them. I believe he has level two quotes. Um, but uh, that one may, you know, for someone who's unsophisticated and who's not experienced, that one may be a difficult one to kind of put your finger on. Yeah. Um, he also talks about avoiding the sunk cost effect, uh, to cut your losses and move on. So in the case of a healthcare stock, I mean, you can think the FDA is going to go one way, one way and they go the other, and you can lose a lot of money very quickly, depending on what happens. Absolutely. Um, I think that's the kind of rule that would, um, you know, apply to almost any type of stock. Uh, many people, you know, they'll hold on to, at some point you have to say, you have to be disciplined and cut your losses and uh, move on. And uh because uh, there's better investments out there. Um, Bob Krebs was um, was pretty clear on this. I think he he rarely would stay with anything that went against him more than 25 or 30 uh, percent. And uh, the same with Kai Patain, and they're extremely disciplined about not holding on to losers. And it kind of it kind of relates to that whole rule of you know not falling in love with your stock. But it's very difficult for a lot of people because. You know, oftentimes there are companies where they have an emotional attachment, you know, like Apple Computer, for example. Yeah. There's emotions on the way up and the way down as well. It's hard to, yes, to battle on both sides, indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with more uh, of the book. Uh, uh, your book is called The Warren Buffett's Next Door, The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn From Them. We'll be back after this.
the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Matt Schifrin, whose new book is called The Warren Buffett's Next Door, The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn From Them. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Good to be back. We're going to go on to the Oracle of Manitoba. Uh, we wouldn't normally think there would be oracles in Manitoba, but you found uh, Randy McDuff. How does he work? Right. Well, Randy is a um, he's from Winnipeg, Manitoba. He's a former stockbroker um, who is investing full-time right now. And... Um, I call him that because uh, I first discovered him a number of years ago, and his returns have just been outstanding. Um, his average annual return has been about 19% for the last 10 years versus a negative 0.7% for the S&P 500. Um, I describe Randy as a mix between, you know, uh, one part uh, John Templeton, two parts Warren Buffett. He's got a very similar kind of value style, wants to hold stocks forever. Um, but is very global in his orientation, maybe having something to do with the fact that he lives up in Canada. Um, but he um, he likes kind of a lot of global, big, blue-chip uh, stocks, uh, looks for them selling at uh, discounts uh, to their um, enterprise value, um, certain ratios that he looks at. 
and um, I think he looks at uh, enterprise value to cash flow um, rather than price earnings ratio. And he um, he looks for bargains and has done extremely well in very big cap stocks like you know Mastercard has been one of his favorites for a long time. Um, now he's, and, he's saying one of his rules is to find stocks that are ignored by Wall Street. You don't think of Master, Mastercard as one that's been ignored by Wall Street. Exactly, but you know, um, when he first started looking at it, it, it was somewhat. And he—it's interesting if you look at some of his other um, other stocks. He will—he'll um, uh, look at, say, a pharmaceutical company that might have a small number of analysts because it's it's foreign based. Um, I believe Sanofi Aventis, when he first started looking at that, was um, relatively underfollowed. Um, another example I cite in the book is Nestle's, which is a massive company. You know, Nestle's uh, Nestle SA. It's a Swiss maker of chocolates and Purina cat food. But when he looked at it, there were about two stock analysts covering the stock versus about 12 or 15 for Pepsi, which is a direct competitor. So, in a sense, because it was Swiss-based, uh, it was underfollowed. I think um, in the case of Nestle, it, the stock was traded on the pink sheet, which is you know kind of the wild west of uh, stock uh, listing services in the U.S. And um, but the, but it's a massive company, and he was able to get the stock at a relatively reasonable price. And so he's been he's been doing a little hunting in China. So he uh, he likes a lot of the Chinese uh, big caps, and in Brazil, he, uh, like. Um, uh, like Alan Hill, he also likes to go where the money is, and um, so he's been investing a lot in emerging markets. You also say he likes companies with strong business models that are preferably monopolies or duopolies. Uh, are, there, are there a lot of those to be found these days? There aren't, um, and he's fairly selective, but I think he, um, you know, that's why um, he'll look at certain big cap uh, companies. I mean, MasterCard would be an example of, you know, there's MasterCard, there's Visa, there's American Express. It's not a huge number of companies um, with the critical mass in that business. In the pharmaceutical business, uh, he'll look at companies that might have some kind of monopolistic or duopolistic um, market share in a specific re uh, drug indication, like the diabetes market or something like that. Um, and so he won't, you know, he'll look at it that way. Um, other in other ways, you know, he he looks at he's looked at some Brazilian big Brazilian food companies, Brazilian oil companies, um, and so he likes he tends towards the big caps. Let's go on. Uh, your next investor is uh, Andrew Swan, who you call Mexican Gold. Uh, why does he work? Um, Andy's as the title would have you believe he's a specialist in gold. He lives down in Mexico and. Um, I believe it was it was over ten years ago that he kind of he he just decided that um, he'd read a number of books and he decided that um, given what was going on in the emerging markets that oil and gold were where he wanted to have his money. He had spent a long the early part of his career he actually um, was in uh, was in the oil business um, helping to secure the rights for uh, the drilling rights. Uh, in West Texas and uh, East Texas, and and he so he knew something about the business, and he's made a ton of money in the last decade investing in junior mining stocks, and so Andy spends a lot of time doing extensive research on different mining stocks, um, different metals, and on energy, and he's developed a significant network of investors that. Um, 
that he either shares ideas with or sometimes they go in together and actually um, they do private placements for some uh, junior junior mining companies. But uh, uh, thanks to Andy's success, he has had a you know his he lives an idyllic life. I mean, he basically works for himself and uh, takes some pretty nice vacations. He has a, a vacation home down in Chile. And um, he's really, you know, he's an outstanding investor, and uh, it really shows in the way he lives. Do you think it's too late to get into these? Uh, gold has had an enormous move here. Uh, for people who are just coming to the game now, do you think it's too late for people to get into the kind of stocks he does? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if if I were to defer to Andrew's, um, you know, to what he's been uh forecasting, uh, I mean, Andrew and a lot of other people think that gold's going to ultimately reach about $3,000 an ounce. So um, I don't think it's necessarily too late because what's gold at fourteen hundred or so right now. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's not. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to, to double your money. And and in some cases, when you invest in the junior miners, um, you actually get some leverage on that, and um, and you can do even better. And so he you know he focuses on cash flow, and he's very very careful about um, uh, you know which gold stocks he invests in, and um, he, there's a lot of lessons that he offers in my book about how you should approach gold stocks. He says if you're not really um, that you know that focused or don't have the time to do the research, he does recommend a um, a few exchange traded funds that he thinks you know will serve the purpose if you don't have the time to really spend on it. Okay, we're not going to have time to get to your last two investors, but why don't you give some overall lessons that you learned? I mean, you've been covering investing for a long time. Uh, what are some of the overall things you learned by talking to these really smart investors? Uh, well, the first thing is that you're not going to be good, a good investor unless you actually like what you're doing. So these guys are all passionate about it. So in order to, to really do well, you you kind of got to be gotta, you have to like it. Number two is you really need to spend the time. Becoming a good investor is not something you can do for 20 minutes every week. Every one of the individuals in my um, book spend hours each day. Uh, trying to be better investors, working on their portfolios and doing research, so need to spend the time on it. I do. I did note that a number of the investors in my book uh, live a lifestyle that's somewhat frugal. They don't. Uh, so I think it's they want to get in their investing. They want to get fifty cents on the dollar. They want to get a dollar for fifty cents. I'm sorry. And um, but they. But many of them live the same way. You know, several of them took pride and told me, look, we never buy new cars. We never bought a new car in our life, was what Alan Hill told me. Um, Mike Koza, you know, he, when I spoke to him on the phone, the phone is very static. And I said, Mike, sir, what's wrong with your phone? And he said, oh, this is a phone I got for a dollar at a, at a rummage sale. And in my mind, I'm like, well, this man's a multimillionaire, and he's speaking me on a dollar phone. So they don't like to waste money. So that, that's kind of a common thread I found is that uh, not unlike Warren Buffett, who's you know very frugal in his approach to life. So you know your approach to life can extend, you know, to your approach to investing. Um, so uh, those are some of the common threads uh, that I found. I also found that you know there was a disproportionate number of engineers who I profiled. So you know an affinity for math can be very helpful. Very good. Okay. Well, again, the Matt's uh, book is called "The Warren Buffett's Next Door: The World's Greatest Investors You've Never Heard Of and What You Can Learn from Them." He has a website which is Matt Schifrin, spelled S C H I F R I N dot com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jordan. And we'll be back again with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Do you feel? 